Well, for those of you that uh, may not know, my wife Kayla and I have a uh, one-year-old son, Samuel, and uh, he uh, absolutely loves uh, the show, uh, the Mickey Mouse Clubhouse. He, uh, he, we don't let him watch it much, but whenever he does get to watch it, uh, he enjoys it. He will sit there. He will actually sit still. He won't get into anything. Uh, he will sit there and watch it. Um, he will dance. He will clap. He will talk. Um, he, he absolutely loves it. And he loves the, uh, the, the hot dog song, especially. He, he loves to, to dance to that, for those of you that may uh, know that song. Uh, I'm not going to sing it, uh, but um, he, he absolutely loves that. And this past week, he saw the remote sitting on uh, one of the side tables in our, room, in, in our den, and he knows that if he can get to that remote, that, uh, that he can get to, uh, to watch hot dog, as he says. He loves to say hot dog. He'll just he'll go around saying hot dog, hot dog. He he wants to watch the Mickey Mouse Clubhouse, and he knows that the the remote is the key to that. Now there are a lot of cords under the the side table that uh, that, that that this remote was on, and so we had some pillows there to kind of block block it from him getting to uh, to those cords. And uh, but but so what he did is he decided he was going to fight and get through all of those pillows in order to get to that remote. So at one point, he's covered in pillows on the ground, grunting, uh, trying to get to this remote. And he persevered, uh, and he eventually got it. Um, But it took him a good 10 minutes or so to to get to it. And as soon as he gets the remote, he turns to Kayla and says, Hi, dog. He he wanted to, to watch the Mickey Mouse Clubhouse. Now, the next day... He saw the remote, pillows were there, and he thought of a more creative way to get to the remote this time. He had his little fishing net, and he decided he was going to reach out, and he was going to scoot, he was going to catch the remote, scoot it closer to the edge of the side table. That way, he wouldn't have to fight through all the pillows in order to get the remote. And it worked. He got the remote like that. Our hearts drive what we do. Our hearts drive what we do. Samuel loves the Mickey Mouse Clubhouse, and so he fought, he persisted to get through those pillows in order to get to the remote, and he even thought of a more creative way uh, to get to the remote uh, the second time. Now, we all do the same thing Samuel does, right? Probably not literally, but figuratively speaking, we all do the same thing. We do what we love to do. We spend time, we spend money, we spend effort, uh, energy, on the things that we love to do. We, we do what we love to do. And in our text this morning, we're going to see this very truth, that our hearts drive who we, what we do. Our hearts are at the very core of who we are as a person. Our hearts drive how we live our lives. Let's read Mark seven fourteen through 23. This is the word of the Lord. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand, there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? Since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and and is expelled. Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, 
Out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these, all these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. Church, would you please pray with me? Lord, we come to you this morning as needy, sinful people, needing your grace, needing your forgiveness, needing your word. We pray that as we unpack this text this morning together, that you would open up our our eyes to see the truth of your word. Lord, that you would do a work in our hearts to transform us, to be more like Christ, to save those in this room who may not know you this morning, that you would give them faith to trust in Christ alone for salvation, that they would recognize that their heart is sinful and that they need a heart transplant, that they need Christ to save them, to rescue them from their sin. God, would you open up the eyes of sinners this morning and save them and give them a new heart. Lord, for those who have trusted in Christ this morning, God, would you transform us from one degree of glory to another? Would you cause us to rejoice and delight in the gospel? And would you cause us to live lives that bring glory to your name? And God, would you anoint me and guide me as I seek to unpack your word faithfully this morning? And would all of this bring glory to your name? It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, in case you missed it, uh, verse 16 is, is omitted in most translations uh, of the scriptures. And that's so because most, the, 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 uh, the oldest and the best manuscripts don't include that in, the, in, their, in their manuscripts. Um, but some manuscripts do include it, so yours could possibly have it. Most of them don't, though. And what that verse says, it says, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And so this was a saying that Jesus said often uh, whenever he was teaching in parables. Um, uh, and so it doesn't change anything in the meaning of the text, but I just wanted to go ahead and address that up front before we dive into the passage. Uh, you, you, you may not have even caught it. I didn't catch it, to be honest, initially. Uh, it, was, it was later on that I actually realized, oh, there's not a verse 16. So just wanted to address that before we dive into the passage. Now, the main point of this text is that a sinful heart makes one unclean. A sinful heart makes one unclean. So kids, if you're taking notes on your, uh, on your activity sheet, uh, just write that down. A sinful heart makes one unclean. Now, let's look at the context of Mark 7, specifically in verses 1 through 13, because that's going to help us to understand 14 through 23 better. The Pharisees were placing their own traditions uh, over God's law. They were uh, honoring the Lord with their lips, but their hearts were far from him. Their hearts were not worshiping the Lord. They weren't living in obedience out of a love for the Lord. They were living uh, in obedience to their own traditions out of self-righteousness and uh, pride. Uh, That is why they they were living in the manner that they were living. Uh, the Pharisees noticed that Jesus' disciples, they weren't washing their hands uh, before their meals. And so the Pharisees were calling him out on this. Now, the thing is, is that 
the Old Testament law that they're referencing was really just for priests. It was for the priests to wash their hands, to, to cleanse their hands uh, prior to making uh, the sacrifices for sin. And, and so that was, that was the, just for priests. Um, but the Pharisees, they took that command and they applied it to themselves. And they expected other people to follow that, that we all need to, to wash our hands. Now, I'm not against washing hands, but that for the context of this, this, uh, this passage, it's, you know, that, that's not what cleanses us, right? Um, that's not a law in the Old Testament. Uh, further, they required the cleaning of pots and, uh, and cups and all of that as well. If you look in Mark 7, uh, verse 4, and, um, and really, the, uh, you probably heard it said that like this before, the, the goal of the Pharisees was, was to put up a hedge around God's law in order to prevent them from getting close enough to, to break the law. Um, and so, so that was their motivation. But uh, in reality, in this instance, it actually led them to break God's law. And them trying to put up a hedge around God's law, it actually ended up leading them to not uh, live in accordance with God's law. Now, after this initial encounter with the Pharisees, uh, Jesus calls them back again um, in verse 14, which, is, which brings us to our passage again this morning. So that's the context of verses 1 through 13. And then he, he calls them back again because they, they didn't understand. And so Jesus is going to make his point again. And he uses the words hear and understand. Hear and understand. And both of those, those words, those verbs, they're in the imperative form. And so he is commanding them to hear, understand, believe what I am teaching you, what I'm about to teach you. And Jesus is making the point that defilement does not come from outside of a person. Defilement does not come from outside of a person. Now, this would have been very difficult for the Pharisees to understand. Uh, they, wouldn't, they wouldn't have understand it, understood this truth because there were various ceremonial laws that that taught that, that if somebody was, uh, had leprosy or a bodily discharge or a woman after childbirth and many other things, that those people would be considered unclean. And, and so those were outward things that made somebody unclean according to the ceremonial law. Now, uh, we know that Jesus came in order to fulfill the law, right? The, he came to fulfill the law and the prophets. Matthew five seventeen through 20 tells us that Jesus came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it, to fulfill the law and the prophets. Now, we don't have time to completely unpack that, uh, that truth uh, in Matthew 5, 7, uh, 17 to 20, but the, the law and the prophets, they were pointing forward to the coming of the kingdom of Christ. They were pointing forward to something coming. And, of course, Christ is at the very heart, at the very core of the kingdom of God. Now, in regards to our specific text with some of the ceremonial law, um, he, was, he was showing that it's not what's outside a person that defiles them. It's what's on the inside, right? So Jesus actually uh, showed this in his ministry in a, in a variety of different ways. Jesus touched a leper in Mark 1.41 to heal him. He was eating with tax collectors and sinners, and uh, some of their food was probably not uh, in accordance with the ceremonial law, right? Mark 2.16. Uh, Jesus touched the, bo- the dead body of Jairus' daughter in Mark 5. Uh, in Mark 5 as well, we see that Jesus touched uh, the bleeding woman as well. All of these instances would have caused Jesus to be considered unclean according to the ceremonial law, right? 
However, Jesus makes crystal clear that it's not what is on the outside of the person that makes us unclean. That is not what defiles us. It is the inside, the inside of the person. Now, after Jesus uh, and his disciples, they, they, they go into a house together, and the disciples start asking him again, Teacher, what do you mean? What, do you, what does this mean that you're, you're teaching? And Jesus is perplexed. He's like, y'all still don't get it? You still don't understand? Look at verses 17 through 19. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, then are you also without understanding? Which means, basically, are you still without understanding? You still don't get this? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. So there's two things that we notice from these verses. He declares all foods clean. So obviously in the, in the Levitical law, we saw all kinds of foods that were considered unclean. Uh, a pig, selfish, shellfish, all those, all those things, many others. You can go and read Leviticus 11 or Deuteronomy 14 uh, as well. There's, there's a laundry list of foods that were considered unclean. But we know according to Christ, we know according to Peter's vision in Acts chapter 10, um, that, that all foods are considered clean. So Jesus' point here is that food can defile somebody because it goes into their stomach and then it is expelled, right? It, that's, that's not what makes somebody unclean. And based on the context of these verses, I believe that that specific example of food uh, can't make somebody unclean, uh, that there's nothing outside that makes someone unclean. Outward actions are, are not the root of sin. Outward actions are not the root of sinfulness. They are not, they, they are, they are not the ultimate cause of our sinfulness. The, our, our outward actions are not. Now imagine if you walked into your kitchen and you saw water all over your floor and water's coming out from under your sink, uh, out of the cabinet, and you go uh, and get a whole bunch of towels and you wipe up all of the, the water off of the kitchen floor and the water continues to come out, and you repeat the process again, you go and get more towels, and you wipe the floor, you clean it all up off the floor, you're not dealing with the root of the problem, right? Because there's still a leaking pipe under your sink that you need to go and turn off the water supply to, and you need to fix that pipe in order to get to the root of the problem. So in a similar manner, if if we are to merely deal with the outward actions, we're not dealing with the root of our sin. We won't ever make any lasting uh, progress in our sanctification if we don't get to the heart of the issue. So it's not the outward actions that are at the root of our sinfulness. It is, it is our heart. So it's not the outward actions. It is a sinful heart that makes one unclean. A sinful heart makes one unclean. And this is the main point of the passage. The same point uh, that, I, that I mentioned earlier is the main point. Verses 20 through 23. Let's read those again. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within. And they 
defile a person. So the heart is at the very center of the person. Uh, the heart is, a, is the center of a, a person's mind, emotions, and actions. Uh, and J.I. Packer, he defines the heart this way. He says, The human heart is the controlling source of all that we do and expression of what we are. All our thoughts, desires, discernments, and decisions, our plans, our purposes, our affections, attitudes, and ambitions all the wisdom and all the folly that mark our lives come out of and are fueled, serviced, and driven by our hearts for better or for worse. So basically, our hearts are at the core of everything, right? They, they are the controlling source for everything that we are, everything that we think, everything that we do. They are the very core of our being. Our hearts drive who we are. At the root of sin is an unclean heart. At the root of sin is an unclean heart. Verse 21 says, For from within, out of the heart, come, and then he lists the laundry list of sins, of vices, evil thoughts. So these are morally wrong thoughts, and uh, often the first thing that happens that eventually leads to the rest of the vices that are in the list. Sexual immorality. Sexual acts that are, that are not in accordance with God's word. Theft, taking something from somebody unlawfully. Murder, unlawful killing of another human being. Or, as Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, just being angry with somebody else. Adultery, sex outside of marriage. Or, as Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, looking at somebody uh, with a lustful intent. That is not your spouse. Coveting, jealousy, being greedy for more. Wickedness, a general term for carrying out evil deeds. Deceit, so fraud or deceiving somebody. Sensuality, another term for sexual sin. Envy, which literally means evil eye, so being jealous. Slander, speaking evil of God, blasphemy, or speaking evil of somebody else. Pride, elevating oneself before others. And foolishness, ignoring the authority of God's word. Somebody who is morally and spiritually insensitive. Now, my aim is not to dive deeply into every single one of those vices that that is listed in the passage. However, I want to look more broadly this morning just at the heart in general. And I want us to see that the root of sin is is our sinful heart. The root of sin is our sinful hearts. It is out of the heart that comes all of those vices, all of those sins. It is out of the heart that those things come. Now, I do want to make a disclaimer at this point, looking back at the illustration of the, the kitchen sink and the, the leak and all that. Um, the, the root of the problem is the leaking pipe, right? We, we, if you don't address that, you're not going to solve the problem. The water is going to continue to come out onto the kitchen floor, right? However, we should, in fact clean up all the water. Um, We should replace any of the floor uh, that is damaged um, and and do any other repairs that are necessary. Um, And and I say that to say that uh, there are some things that we can in fact do that that are outside of us, that are more outward actions that can help us in our battle against sin, right? So there are action steps that we could and often should take in our battle against sin. For example, 
If there are foolish friends that we have that are, whenever we go and hang out with them, they always lead us into to temptation and to sin. Well, it's probably a wise thing to not hang out with those friends, right? Because they're going to continue to lead you into sin. Or maybe it's committing to stop the friend who, who's always gossiping about everybody else and just saying, look, stop, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear that because you're going to tempt me to sin. And you're going to tempt me to go and tell other people about all this stuff about this person. Or maybe it's taking measures in, in a battle against uh, pornography. Whether that's with software where there's accountability with, with another brother or sister, or maybe it's getting rid of a device that, that is, uh, that, that is um, a part of that process of you sinning. Or maybe it's getting a phone with no internet or, and, and just the just a call and text. Uh, there could be drastic measures that you take in order to battle sin. As Jesus says, pluck out your eye, cut off your arm, right? So there, there are outward actions that we could and often should take in our battle against sin. But the root of our sinfulness is our evil, sinful, unclean hearts. So this points to the biblical truth that sinners need a new heart. We need a new heart in order to be made clean. Sinners need a new heart in order to be made clean. We are all, we are all born into sin, right? Adam represented us. He was our federal head. And now we are all born into sin. And we need a savior outside of ourselves to rescue us from our sin. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And this is the very reason that Jesus came. Mark 1.15, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Mark 10, 45, for even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So this is the very reason that Jesus Christ, the God man came into this world to rescue us from our sinful hearts. Jesus fulfilled Ezekiel 36, 22 through 27 in his ministry. It says this, therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Amen. So this is a a prophecy proclaiming that one day sinners' hearts will be made new. They will be replaced. Our unclean hearts will be made clean. They will be cleansed. Sinners will receive a new heart. 
And we know that this is through believing in Christ, believing in the gospel. Not only do we receive a new heart, but we also receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells within us. And as Ezekiel said, this is all for the Lord's name's sake. It is not for our own, it is for his name's sake. We cannot save ourselves, friends. We are born with sinful hearts and we need a heart transplant. We need a heart transplant. If we don't, we will suffer eternal separation and death apart from Christ forever. But friend, the good news is that God has made a way. He has made a way for us to receive a new heart. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to live and walk on this earth, to live perfectly, to not sin once, to go to the cross, to take on the wrath, the punishment that we deserve because of our sinfulness, because of our unclean hearts. He went to the cross. He submitted to the Father's will, as we sang earlier, to a sinner's death. He was buried, and on the third day, he rose victoriously, defeating sin and death, making a way for you and I to have new hearts. If we would just believe in that message, believe in Christ, because he alone can save. And this news was not just for the Jews. If you, we don't have time to go into that passage this morning, but if you look at 24 through 30, you see Jesus' encounter with the Syrophoenician woman, this Gentile woman. And the, one, part of the point in that is that this gospel message is not just for the Jews, but it is for the Gentiles. It is for the nations, every people, every tongue. So by placing all of your trust in Christ and confessing him as Savior, you can be saved and you can receive a new heart right now. And so friend, if you have not trusted in Christ, if you have not believed in him for salvation, then I urge you to believe in Christ. We all need a new heart. And the only hope that we have is by trusting in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross and his resurrection. That is our only hope to to receive a new heart. And so friend, I urge you, believe in Christ right now. Believe in him for he alone can save you. He alone can give you the new heart that you need. For those of you who have trusted in Christ, we know that we are still in a spiritual battle in this world, right? We know that we are still tempted with sin each and every day, moment by moment. And so Christian, keep your heart with all vigilance. Keep your heart with all vigilance. John Flavel says this in his book, Keeping the Heart. He says, The heart of man is his worst part before it is regenerated, and the best afterward. It is the seat of principles and the foundation of actions. The eye of God is, and the eye of the Christian ought to be, principally fixed upon it. The greatest difficulty in conversion is to win the heart to God. And the greatest difficulty after conversion is to keep the heart with God. Now, although we have salvation by grace through faith in Christ, we still wage war against 
sin, right? We've been saved from the penalty of sin, and we have the Holy Spirit that empowers us to battle against sin, yet we still live in this world where sin is present, right? And where we battle it day by day, moment by moment. And so we must continue to wage war on sin, brothers and sisters. Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow all the springs of life. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. There's a command there to keep the heart with all vigilance or to do this diligently. Make this a priority. Keep your heart. Be on guard for your heart. And the reason for the command is for from your heart flow the springs of life. So our heart is is like a seed. You, You plant a seed in a garden, right? And if you don't take care of it, if you don't water it, don't allow it to get sunlight, then it's not gonna grow, right? If you don't take care of the seed, there's not gonna be any fruit. And so you must watch after it. You must take care of it. You must tend to it. In a similar way, we must keep our heart because our heart is what produces the fruit of our lives, whether it's going to be godly fruit or whether it's going to be sinful fruit. From our hearts flows the fruit of our lives. In John Flavel's book, Keeping the Heart, he lists six motivations for keeping the heart. Number one, the glory of God. God's glory is his holy character on display. And you and I, we were all made to live for his glory, to be uh, people who display his glory. And brothers and sisters, in the way, the way in which we live, it, it shows what we believe about God. It shows what we believe about God for good or for worse. Of course, we're never going to be perfect in this world, this side of heaven, but we ought to strive to be a people who display God's glory faithfully. The glory of God is at stake. Secondly, sincerity of our profession. If we are careless with our heart and neglect to live in a manner worthy of the gospel, then we are hypocrites, right? We can't be a people who say, do as I say, but not as I do, right? What we say, what, what we believe, and what we do, they must complement one another. They go hand in hand together because we, we live in a way that shows what we truly believe. Three, the edification of saints. The way Flavel puts this is he says, the beauty of our conversation arises from the heavenly frame of our spirits. The beauty of our conversation arises from the heavenly frame of our spirits. So the, his point here is that, uh, that we must keep our hearts because it will guide our conversations with other people, right? It, it, will, it, will, it will lead us to not be a people who merely talk about weather and sports and politics or whatever, but it will lead us to talk about heavenly, godly, spiritual things. It will lead us to, to build one another up in Christ, to speak the truth and love to one another that we may uh, all mature in our faith. So as our hearts are filled, consumed by a love and a devotion to Christ, it will shape our conversations with one another. And it will lead us to build one another up, to speak the truth to one another. So 
keeping our own hearts, it, it allows us to edify one another. So the edification of the saints is a motivation for keeping our heart. Because the reality is, is that we need one another. We need one another. We are one body, many members, but we need one another. Fourth, assurance. So this is closely tied to number two, the sincerity of our profession. But if we don't keep our heart and our lives don't show a love for God and a love for the saints, then it is possible that we are not truly converted. So we know that we are in the faith by living a life that is transformed by the gospel. That's not what saves us. We're not saved by works. We are saved by grace through faith in Christ. But our works, they are a demonstration of what we believe. And so it is of utmost importance to keep our hearts for the assurance of faith. So if we are to to live a life transformed by the gospel, we must keep our hearts. Fifth, spiritual health. A busy Christian is not necessarily a healthy Christian. A busy Christian is not necessarily a healthy Christian. What do I mean? Our labor for Christ and his church, it ought to be motivated by a love, a pure desire to worship Christ and to serve the bride of Christ. So our attendance on Sunday mornings, base group, uh, attending other ministry gatherings, our Bible studies, whatever it may be, they ought not be out of compulsion. They, they ought to be out of a love, a devotion to Christ, a desire to grow in Christ, a desire to serve, to be the hands and feet of Christ, to build up the body of Christ. So brothers and sisters, why are you here this morning? Why are you here? Is it to worship the Lord together with the saints? Or is it because you feel compelled to, because just under compulsion, like, oh, if I don't come, then so-and-so is going to say something to me, and I, I, need, to, I need to go. Our teenager, our, our young kid, is it because your parents made you come? Or is it because you have a genuine desire to worship the Lord with the body of Christ? That ought to be our motivation, friends. Why are you serving the church in the ways in which you're serving? Is it because you feel compelled to, just under compulsion, feel like you have to? Or is it because you joyfully want to serve the church, to serve Christ? What is your motivation for that? A busy Christian is not necessarily a healthy Christian. Sixth, for the hour of temptation. Flavel says this, he says, the careless heart is an easy prey to Satan in the hour of temptation. His principal batteries are raised against the heart. If he wins that, he wins all. For it commands the whole man, and alas, how easy a conquest is a neglected heart. So brothers and sisters, if we do not keep our hearts with all vigilance, then in that hour of temptation from Satan, we will be more easily defeated. How easy a conquest is a neglected heart. So those are six motivations from Flavel. I just want to offer some quick, brief, practical tips in keeping your heart as well. One, 
be humble. So pride is one of the chief enemies of keeping our heart. If we think we have it all together, then there's no need to keep our heart, right? Because we have it all together. That's, that's prideful. We all are sinners in need of, uh, of, of keeping our heart and battling against sin and temptation. So we must, natu- we must realize that our natural tendency is to sin. That's what sinners do, right? Sinners sin. We all are sinners and we all sin. And so we need to be humble and recognize that. Two, ask God to reveal sin in your life. Psalm 139, 23 and 24. I love these verses. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So pray and ask God, reveal my heart. What's in my heart, Lord, that is sinning against you? What's in my, what, what sinful thoughts am I thinking that are leading me to sin against you? Oh God, reveal those things to me and lead me to, to fight against those, to repent of those, and to live in a way that honors you, to live in the way everlasting. So ask the Lord, search me, O oh God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. Ask him to reveal the sin in your life. Three, remember that sin blinds us. Sin blinds us. We need other people in our lives who can come into our lives from a different perspective that are maybe outside of the situation, can evaluate it objectively and say, you know, oh, that's sinful or, oh, that's not, or you're, you know, you're being too hard on yourself or whatever it may be. We need community. We need people in our lives to speak truth to us. And that, that goes into number one of being humble. Because if, if we're not humble, if we think we have it all together, then we think, oh, I don't need that older, mature, more mature Christian to, to speak into my life. I've got it all figured out myself. I don't need my base group to, to speak into this because I've got it all figured out. The reality is, is that we all need one another. We need to, to share uh, the decisions that we're wrestling with in our lives, with, with people in our lives. We need to share our struggles with one another in our, that, that, we're, that we're battling in our lives. We, we need one another. And we ought to humbly depend on one another because sin blinds us. And so in keeping the heart, we need the body, right? We need the body of Christ to help us to keep our heart. Four, when you sin, confess the heart of the sin. So if you're getting impatient with your spouse or with your roommate or with a sibling, whatever it may be, don't just say, oh, I'm sorry, but you were being a jerk. I'm sorry for doing this, but I was just hangry. Or I'm just sleepy. Those are, those are just excuses. Those are not the heart of the issue. And, 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 and some of those are, you're blaming the other person. Like, you're being a jerk. I'm sorry for doing this, but you were a jerk, <laughs> right? Rather, we should say, I'm sorry I yelled at you. And I expected you to do fill in the blank or whatever, whenever I wanted you to do it. And forgive me for insisting on my own way and not putting your needs over my own. Forgive me of that, Lord. Forgive me of sinning against you uh, in that way, insisting on my own way and not putting your interests over my own. We could talk about a variety of other uh, ways that that you get to the heart of, of the sin. It's not just the outward action of it, 
but it's getting to the heart, getting to the root of sin. Five, be captivated by Christ. So if we're going to battle our desire for sin, we need to replace it with a greater desire, right? We need to replace it with a desire for Christ. We have to remind ourselves that true and lasting joy comes from Christ alone, not from the things of this world. I've been going through Ecclesiastes with the students and there's all kinds of uh, things in there that could help us to apply this, to realize that there's nothing in this world that can bring true, lasting pleasure except for Christ alone. And so remind ourselves of that day in, day out, moment by moment, because we so easily forget, I know I do, we so easily forget that God alone satisfies. The things of this world, they are fleeting, they are temporary, and they do not satisfy. They may satisfy for a moment, but then they can be, the rug can be swept out from under us and it can be taken away at any moment, right? And so remind ourselves of this through the word, through community. We need other people to remind us to speak the truth of this uh, into our lives each and every day. If, if our heart, if our hearts are captivated by Christ, oh, how abundant will that spiritual fruit be? If we are captivated by Christ, how much godly fruit will there be? Ca- be captivated by Christ, brothers and sisters. Six, persevere. Washing our heart is a continual battle. Moment by moment, day after day, don't lose heart. Don't lose heart, brother or sister, in your fight against sin. Persevere. Remember that this battle, it is absolutely critical. We must keep our heart because from the heart flows the springs of life. Brothers and sisters, rejoice in the fact that you have the Holy Spirit in you who is empowering you in your battle against sin and temptation. Rejoice in that and depend on the Lord day after day as you battle sin. And further, you have the church. You have the redeemed people of God who have covenanted together with you in your battle, in your spiritual walk, in your battle against sin, And so lean on the church, lean on your base group. We need one another. Uh, Lean on them to, to persevere, to encourage you in your battle. Don't get isolated, but press into community and realize that we need one another to help us in this battle. So persevere, brothers and sisters in Christ. Don't lose heart as you seek to keep your heart. Our sinful hearts, they are at the core uh, of us being unclean before a holy God. And we need a new heart in order to be saved. We need our heart of stone to be taken out and to receive the heart of flesh. So once again, if you're here this morning and you are still dead in your sins and trespasses, I urge you, trust in Christ because he alone can save you. He alone can give you a new heart. Trust in him today. And brothers and sisters in Christ, 
rejoice in the fact that God has given you a new heart. He has given you a new heart and he has given you his spirit. Rejoice in that, delight in that and worship him. But remember, there is still a battle that we are in. We are waging war on sin day after day, moment by moment. And so brothers and sisters, keep your heart with all vigilance for from it flow the springs of life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you so much that you have made a way for us to receive a new heart by sending Jesus Christ to live a perfect life, the life that we could never live because we are sinners. And you sent him to the cross to crush him, to pour out your wrath upon him so that we could have a way to be forgiven, so that we could have a way to receive a new heart. So Lord, for the person in here this morning who has not trusted in you, would you open up their eyes to see their sinfulness, that they have a broken heart, an unclean heart because of their sinfulness, and that they need a new heart. They must trust in Christ alone to save them and to, to give them that new heart, that heart of flesh. Oh God, open up their eyes this morning. And Lord, for those of us who have trusted in you, we praise you. God, there's nothing in and of ourselves that deserves to be in a right relationship with you. But it is out of your abundant grace and mercy and kindness and love for us that you have saved us. And so God, we thank you. We worship you in light of our salvation. Lord, we thank you for giving us your spirit to dwell in us, to empower us as we seek to battle sin day in and day out. Oh God, would we depend upon you in our battle against sin as we seek to keep our heart with all vigilance. God, would we not lose heart in that battle? Would we continue to persevere? Would you encourage the saints this morning that are that, are, uh, that, that feel despair in their battle against sin. Oh God, give them hope. Help them to persevere. Help them to lean on the church, the, the bride of Christ, to empower them to persevere and to lean on you, Lord, as they battle sin. Lord, we pray that we would be a people who diligently keep our hearts because from it flows the springs of life. God, would you empower us as we seek to do that? And would you bring, be, be glorified through our lives as we do that, Lord? We pray this in faith, in Jesus' name, amen.